Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and I don't suck, and neither does the Pipples podcast, but anyone who plays the Riders, they suck. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Let's go, Rider Nation. I'm ready. I'm ready. That's the Arcana Kings. Here we go. This is the Piffles Podcast, your Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. As you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, my name is Alex. I'm Steve. And I'm the guy that builds the boats, and these guys are the guys that sails them. I just trying to, right. the, 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 the guys are out east. I'm just trying to help out. As a guy who used to work with a lot of east coasters, I'm just trying to bring pe the people back from Touchdown Atlantic. This show, this show is already a sinking ship, Greg. Thank you. Uh, as I saw that game, I we could have played the Titanic music that entire game. Oh, let's not do that. No Celine Dion allowed on this show, ever. Near, fuck. Stop it. Get out of here. Oh, God. <laughs> give us a follow on Twitter or X or whatever it's called. At Piffles Pod, you can give me a follow at RealAlexD. You'll find me at Safamod. And as always, I need do not need nor want your pity follows at Greg on Sports. And that's on you Fred. Screw that up again. I'm now. I've, ever since I've we started YouTube. something I hate. Yeah, so every since something I hate. Ever since we started YouTube, you've screwed it up like every single time. Every time. Secretly, secretly, we all know he wants the pity follow. Oh, of course he that's does. That's his mind working now. That's all in his mind. Check us out on Facebook. Uh, check out the website, pifflespodcast.com as well. Of course, Piffles Podcast brought to you by our great friends at, at Dairy Queen on Elvinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Um, as we're doing this uh, um, on YouTube, we'll have a special announcement next week regarding the show. Uh, we're really looking forward to this. And it's uh, kind of a max power announcement that we'll have. So I'm excited to, uh, we can announce that next week. If you've been following along, there's a countdown on, on X or Twitter, whatever Greg's been doing and great job on Vince young the other day, actually with number eight. So that was best quarterback was we've ever had best quarterback we've ever had. I mean, he never threw an interception, no incompletions. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. To awesome to the max. Yeah. Let's get to the opening kickoff. All right, so the Riders lose in almost no touchdown Atlantic. 31-13 um, to the Argos, dropping the record to 3-4. and four. And I don't want to, like, I don't, I could nitpick a lot of things, but I don't feel that there was really a lot in this game on offense, on offense anyway, that I want to nitpick, um, other than just, like, shake my head at this game. Like, it was frustrating to watch, especially in the first half. In the second half, I kind of just didn't expect much, so it wasn't so bad. Um, but let's start with Mason Fine. Before we talk about Jake Dolagala, let's talk about Mason Fine. I actually thought this was his best start as a rider, and it still resulted in nothing. 
it was he was 27 of 39 302 yards no touchdowns so and we're gonna have this debate after jake or or mason um but i thought he had his best game as a rider um at least starting so he's 0-4 as a starter, but he did show growth in this game. He was making some really good throws, especially when he's getting hit, which happened way too much. Uh, but he made some really nice throws. I want to know your guys' take. What what did you think of Mason Fine this past week? I found that he plays better, uh, similar to Darian Durant uh, early in Durant's career, when he's on the run, moving that pocket side by side. He's not a pocket passer, so to speak. And that's probably due to his height. Like, I'm sorry, like Mason finds a short quarterback, hell of a cannon, but he's, he needs to move around so he gets a better view downfield because all that giant mass of humanity in front of him, he probably has trouble seeing past it. So I think he makes his best throws when he is moving that pocket laterally. Um, But I just, I don't, like you can't fault him for that fumble on the goal line. Like, yeah, you got there's no touchdowns on offense until Dolagala come in, but it's just they just could not seem to seem to put anything together to get to the end zone. I like one of those games where everything kind of went wrong for him that could go wrong, but when he had the opportunity and the time, he played well. It felt to me like they at least let him take the training wheels off and put him in a position to succeed. He was making throws. He was that, that little shovel pass that he made that ended up going for what 20 was it 20 yards that I guarantee you every rider fan watching screamed out in terror when it left his hand, because I thought that was going the other way. I thought he did. All right. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to next week's start for him. I think he did enough to get that run. To get another look, albeit not a full game. I think if we go into another halftime with no touchdowns, you got to look at making the switch. But he had opportunities. He made, he drove the field. He put us in position to score points. We just couldn't finish drives, which, you know, we weren't really finishing much in, in the Trevor Harris era either. So, no. Now, when they actually pushed the ball forward, when Kelly Jeffrey let him throw the ball forward, they did really well. It was all the screens, all the hitches. That was the stuff. And it was, I don't mind those play calls once in a while. I don't mind them on first down to try and make it a second and short. I don't mind that. But it was second and long quite often in that game. And that's when we saw those passes. Like, I don't know what Kelly Jeffrey was drawn up here, but... It was, to me, that was the big frustrating part watching this game was so many second downs and having it eight, nine yards to go because they couldn't get the run game going other than one run. And then they just did a hitch pass. Like it it felt like I really missed Marcel Belfay's offense. I was going to say, damn, you stepped on my Bert Marcel Belfay line. What I do. This is what I do. Oh, um, it, but it really felt like that, though, right? Like, it just felt like, okay, well, here's a, a second and ten. Well, I guess they're going to throw it three yards. Yeah, I have, like, the, the amount of hits patches, I was, like, this is a Marcel Belfay offense. It was ridiculous. Like, And the Toronto sniffed them out the entire time. Like, they were playing for those dink and dunks, for the screens. And 
it wasn't until they started pushing the ball did they actually start getting some forward momentum. It, I don't know. I think they they need to start pushing the ball so you can get defenses honest. Because right now, you can't get a running game unless you put the ball downfield. And the running game was supposed to be the shining star of this offense, and it's not. I think the biggest problem with the running game is it's as predictable as a toddler. Like, I can tell you pre-snap whether they're going to run the ball or not. I can't imagine what professional athletes can do at that point. It, it seemed like it was very consistent, very obvious, and led nowhere. On the plus side, we didn't try any third and two handoffs up the middle. So, I mean, that was some dicky progress, but still, that that running game is scary and not in the way we expected at all. Okay, so let's jump to after the game, post-game, keeping on the Mason Fine topic, was Craig Dickinson's comments at the end of this game, saying, I feel like Mason did enough, played well enough to continue to start. Did he say he loved him? Probably. In the locker room, yes. Yeah. 100%. Um, do you guys think Mason fine? This is before, this, is, this isn't even the debate about him or Jake. This is just Mason. Did Mason fine do enough to earn another start? Stats-wise, yes. minus touchdowns, yes. I don't like, think there's any question in my mind. Like, the term game manager is out there, and you look at 27 for 39, 302 yards, sure. Throwing interceptions, not good, but you also need to, If you're going to throw interceptions, it's fine, but you also need to score touchdowns to kind of equal it out. Yeah, Danny McManus threw a lot of interceptions in his career, but he also threw a lot of touchdowns. Man had a hand like a bunch of bananas. Giant mitts on that man. Anyway, and he fit a lot of beers in there in there too. <laughs> and he drank. Yeah, yes, he did. He definitely did. Danny McManus actually has the best recruiting story. Uh, going to college, he was down. He was between FSU, Florida State, and somewhere else. I forget what it was. And Burt Reynolds showed up in a Cadillac to his front door, and he had like the full on like alligator boots and everything and said, you're going to play at FSU. And he goes, yes, Burt Reynolds, I will. You got to remember this is back in what the, the late seventies, early eighties. Um, when, when we're Burt talking Reynolds, Smokey and the band and Burt Reynolds. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. he played at, he played at FSU. Uh, so Danny Mac has this great story about being recruited by, I mean, when, when Burt Reynolds shows up at your house uh, in the peak of his career, I mean, yeah, you kind of do what he says. So, those U.S. college recruiting Burt stories Reynolds are at your house. I don't care if Burt Reynolds shows up at your house today. You do what that man says. Well, <laughs> well, yeah. Know. Considering considering he came up from the grave to come talk to you, <laughs> yes, I probably would too. <laughs> Be Holy too scared crap. not to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's right. Burt Reynolds back from the dead. I got to do something here. <laughs> sir, uh, yes, sir. Okay, well, let's talk. Uh, so I think we're all in agreement there. He did enough to earn another start. We'll talk about the leash that he gets in a little bit when we do a, the game preview. Um, but now let's jump to Jake Dolagala. Yeah, it was a garbage time defense, kind of, kind of not. Like it wasn't prevent, but it wasn't the all-out defense that we saw early in the game. Dolagala goes four or five for 100 yards. A really nice touchdown pass to uh, Sean Bain. And Sean Bain... I'm going to give him praise in a minute, but 
running up to the boat to do a celebration. And then like at that point, like, what are you doing, man? Stop it. He did this against BC last week where there was, he celebrated a what second down catch and it wasn't even a first down. And he started celebrating like he's got to He's got to stop that. That's bothering me. Um, everything else he's been doing has been great. Um, but Dola Gala, do you guys put much stock into that one drive for Dola Gala? Cause a lot of people really, really want him to start this next game. I really like what I saw from him and it wasn't so much that, the, yeah, it was garbage time defense. It was, you know, the prevent defense. It was just killing time. But the throws that he made were fantastic. And it wasn't just the touchdown throw. It was the long throw just before that, that he fit into a, a tight window. I I loved what he did. Now, do I think he should start? No. But I think he should be getting a call from the bullpen real early. And if things don't go well, I think he should be starting going forward. And I don't think uh, I don't think many in Rider Nation would disagree with uh, with Dolly Gala being behind center for a while. But we also need to realize what, who this offense was originally tailored around. It was around uh, Trevor Harris, who plays way different than Mason Fine. I would argue Dolly Gala is more in the Trevor Harris drop back po- a pocket pass than than Mason Fine, and maybe that is why he looks so good in this offense is because it's tailored towards his style. You have a, a guy who was what six, seven dropbacks. He's over the offensive line and just chucks it through a tight window. Mason fine. Can't do that. He's got, he's got the, yeah, he has a, has a cannon for an arm, but he needs to move that pocket around. This offensive line is not built to move a pocket around that pocket moves because it has to, that's it. So, I honestly think this offense is more suited towards Dolagala, but that said, Mason Fine played his butt off. So, I, I liked what I saw. I thought Jake Dolagala should have been the number two out of camp. Um, so I thought he outplayed Mason Fine in the preseason and just looked well, better. I, I remember that. I remember that uh, preseason game. We're DMing each other, and it's like, well, there's number two. By Mason Fine, by Patterson, or however we put it. And then all of a sudden, well, Patterson is now in the hunt. Well, Mason Fine's in the hunt. (laughs) I mean, all their quarterbacks did look good in preseason, let's be honest. Even Shea Patterson, right? So, um, I don't know. I don't think he should start this game, obviously. Um, But that leash is real short. And I really, really want to see... Jake Dolagala in game action. I mean, he, he had a start last year against Toronto. Didn't look bad. Didn't look great, but considering the team was missing literally half their players, I thought he did all right in that it, game. Wasn't it a short week too? Like it was like he got it was thrown a short in week. the start like last second due to illness. Yeah, like it was it was a ridiculous week where you kind of knew they were gonna lose, but he kept them in the game. Like they they the defense held them in as long as they could and he looked okay. Um, I really like how he pushed the ball, but again, that's garbage time. You're going to do that as the quarterback. You have nothing to lose when you're down 31 to six with two minutes left. So you might as well push the ball. Um, I, I do think we'll see him against Ottawa a little bit. Um, not to the point where it's a Durant Giles rotation. They're not there yet, but it very well could be there uh, in the next so couple. When do we weeks. bring in Michael Bishop? <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, hopefully never, uh, never, ever again. Although it did have bring him back for the banjo bowl actually, because that banjo bowl in 2008 was awesome. Oh, that was wild. Um, what did you guys think of Kelly Jeffries' usage? Uh, like we talked about the the screen passes, the hitches, the timing of them, we didn't like. Um, but how he used Tevin Jones and Sean Bain Jr. Um, Bain having over ten catches again. Bain's the first rider with back to back games of ten plus catches um, since '95 when Don Narcisse did it. And thanks to Rob Banstone for pointing that out. Um, that I mean that's riders. pretty impressive, and I like that they're using these two guys um, as the top two receivers, because that's what they are for this team right now. Um, instead of spreading the ball around to everybody a little bit more evenly, these are the two big playmakers. Tevin Jones is that kind of intermediate to long play guy. And uh, Sean Bain can take those short passes and run 40, 50 yards with them. What do you guys think of how they're being used? It's how they Sean should be Bain. being used. John Bain reminds me a lot of Chad Owens in his prime. Just that ability to take take nothing and turn it into something huge. He needs to get the ball in his hands as often as possible. I don't care if it's those little uh, what do you what do you call the little pitch behind the the quarter or in front in front of the quarterback, little pitch pass, uh, little screens, whatever it takes to get the ball in his hand, because all he's done all year long is make something out of it. He has been our most consistent player. Well, let's not say most consistent, but he's been at the top end of that. He had a couple of off weeks over over the season, but he's our clear to me the number one guy, that guy that you need to get involved in the off. Period. They're they're being used the way they need to be used. You want you want to force a team to double team a player, so make them decide between Tevin Jones or or, or Bain. Because if you just if you keep the ball, yeah, you want to spread the ball out. But if you're not focusing on somebody, no one's taking a double team, and you always have a free guy out there. So make them make a defense make a hard decision on what they want to do, which will open up someone else. I don't know. I what are we going to do when the Walker's back? Because Winicky's back now. KSB is coming around the corner. Lennius is back. Like, I, was, I love our receivers, but we're, I, we're Edmonton light at this point. I was thinking of this earlier, um, and I haven't quite come to a conclusion yet. Like, obviously, um, KSB is in the starting lineup. There's there's no doubt about that. Probably ahead of Lennius right now because MLS has been pretty good. Um mm-hmm. That's going to be three guys rotating for two spots. So however that ends up being, keep them fresh. That's fine with me. That's going to be good. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with the American spots, though. You can't sit Bain. You can't sit Tevin Jones at this point. You paid a lot of money for Jake Winicky to come out. I don't know if you can afford to sit another American to have another American receiver just kind of not get the ball. Does does Walker jump right in? I don't know. It re- kind of reminds me of 2017. Remember when the Riders had Chad Owens, uh, Kari Grant, Deron Carter, 
Um, oh, the healthy, the Chad Owens healthy scratch stuff. Yeah, like, saying. like, is that the point that they're going to be at? It might be if they promise everybody a full game check, they're going to have to do that. Um, I can't see any of these guys accepting a spot on the six game list just for the hell of it. So, I don't. I really don't know what they're going to do there, because uh, Walker, you have to play. I think, right? I think so especially if Harris isn't done for the year. And I mean, I believe he is, but if he's not, then you still want Walker in with Harris at the end of the year. I don't know. I really don't know. It's a good problem to have. have. (laughs) Get out of my head, Steve. Get out of my head. Yeah. Great minds or fools seldom differ. Yes. Both. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I, I, the receivers are the least of their problems right now. Uh, the big One of the big problems in this game against the Argos was the special teams. They were not so special at all. Uh, was that just a one-off? Because the coverage team was awful. The blocking for Mario Alford was awful. Was this just them getting beat by a better special teams team? Or like is this just a one-off and you're not too worried about it? I got lit up because I don't, I don't think people understood my point when I said going from the all the way from the West Coast back to Regina, all the way to the East Coast is probably a bad scheduling idea for a team. It's not the reason why they lost the game. That's not what I was trying to say. But they came out flat. In all three phases, they came out flat. The defense played very well, but you can't tell me that much travel in one week is good for any team. Because if it was any other team, I guarantee you that fan base would be burning Twitter down right now or X. So, but I honestly think they were just, it was just a lot of travel and a long week. I'd agree with you there, except the, the problem I had was the, the issues on special teams were right from the opening uh, for Mark first kick. It was it was right off the bat, so it wasn't an issue of tired legs as the game went on. It was from first quarter on. There were issues nonstop, and we've had a lot. We've given a lot of crap towards Craig Dickinson over the last, well, me the last few weeks, Alex the last few years, and the one thing he's always had that's kind of given him some kudos was the special team, and to have a performance like that when his butt is on the line. It, that can't happen again. If he can't, as a as a special teams guy, if he can't get those guys going, he has issues. And that's the concerning part to me is he's lost now the one thing that he could do above everything else. I think it's a one-off. So do I. I think he's too like, good of a special teams coach to allow that to happen again. And really, if you think about it, this game as bad as it looks on paper wasn't that bad we held one of the best team offensive teams as best as we could we 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 made swag look like chad plain and simple if it wasn't for a pick six and a punt return touchdown that game is within reach and we fumbled the ball on the goal line like the Riders could have won that, literally could have won that game if it wasn't for those three plays. Uh, the defense 
though, on the plus side, even though it shows that they, the team gave up 31 points, 24 if you take away that special team <laughs> return touchdown. Um, the defense really held their own. They played very well, um, and they're going to need that going forward. So that was uh, that was the high point of the game, I guess, was, uh, was the defense. Micah Tights actually had a really good game. Whoa. He was everywhere. was everywhere. He a uh, couple tackles for losses. Like he was that was one of his best games as a rider. Definitely his best game this season. And since he came back from injury, definitely his yeah. best game. Uh the defense the last two weeks has played above board. Like they, they are coming up fired and ready to go. Um, they were playing really well against BC with against Vernon Adams until Adams went down and then Dane Evans kind of th- threw a wrench in the machinery apparently, but the defense has looked really well. I almost feel bad for Ottawa coming in this week. Cause I think this defense is going to go off. Okay. So again, circling back Mason, fine, Jake Dolagala. I like this tidbit. I want to bring this up here. Uh, Daryl Davis uh, of the Regina leader post tweeted this out. Um, he's actually back full time with the leader post, so that's great to see. I love, uh, I, I love Daryl. I love his takes. What I don't always agree with them, but I love how just open he is about it. He's so this is what I think. Here it is, and I love that about him. Um, he makes some good po- good points here about how he feels about the quarterback situation. He tweeted out: Mason Fine is zero and four as a CFL starter. Hasn't engineered a touchdown this season as a starter. If he starts for the Riders against Ottawa ahead of Jake Dolagala, it's time to replace the coaches. Okay, well, I'll give Fine the benefit of the doubt for the first two games. Last year, that was a team that gave up. That was clearly a team who still had chances at the playoffs. That team stopped playing for Craig Dickinson. 100%. So I'm not going to bury those two losses on him. So 0-2 this year. Has an engineer scoring drive. Both games have been within reach really this game should have been a lot closer than the score dictates um it's time to replace the coaches okay well i said that before the end of last season i think a lot of people did coaches mm-hmm. cap kind of screws that around just ask edmonton you can't exactly you can't do that in season right now who would you replace them with so my two questions to you guys do you agree with Daryl about his take there about time to fire coaches if they started Dolagala, which they're not going to? And then who do you replace them with? Is there anybody? As we said in the offseason, Craig Dickinson's best situation was all the offensive coordinators that they wanted before they defaulted to Kelly Jeffrey all said no because they were all head coach, they were all head coach material or were head coaches at one point. The writers have no one ready to be head coach. I I understand that everyone seems to think Shivers is the next guy, and he very well could be, but he's super young, in, especially in his coaching career. The guy's a defensive genius, but I don't know, is he a head coach yet? And should do we really want to – I guess if we're starting to rebuild, why not? Let's see what he's got, but that means you're burning the season down going, we don't have a chance in hell. So there's – no one on the staff right now that I'm comfortable being head coach of this team. 
I'm not hell. I'm not comfortable with Dickie being head coach. I never was. Hey, I agree with Greg. There's nobody there in the cupboard. That cupboard what? is is what? bare. What? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm really glad people can see the eye rolls and like to go along with. <laughs> There is nobody there. The, the cupboard is beyond bare. We are we are going to roll with this coaching staff. That was made clear the moment they didn't clear house in the up. They're giving these guys one final season with everybody under contract till the end of this year. And they can either give it a, give it a go, score, get a great cup, or be, be looking for jobs. And we can go into next season with that hope of the next guy. You know, probably most of those guys that we were interviewing this past offseason for OC, like you said. There's there's no way they make a move at this point. Not while we're still sitting in a playoff spot. Should they? Yes. Should they have six months ago? Also yes. But it's too late now. Now you roll with what you got until the season is gone. And everyone can thank... Uh, everyone thanks Chris Jones for that. Really, it's Craig... Reynolds who need to thank for that, for not reining Jones in and going to the board of governors or board of directors of the league and saying, Hey, we need to put a cap in place because that's the only way I can stop Chris Jones. Well, good job. Craig. I mean, the, the, the irony is thick on this one. Problem is though, right now it's technically screwing two teams and I'm enjoying watching the Elks flounder right now. They're, they're literally reshuffling chairs on the uh, Titanic as we speak. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. That's the next topic here. Uh, oh. that's, the, that's the opening kickoff presented by Kathy Festion of Royal LePage, Regina Realty. Um, Banjo Bowl coming up. We mentioned Michael Bishop. Um, five spots left on our bus. So I don't know what else to say. You want to get to the Banjo Bowl? Five spots. Send us a message uh, at Piffle's Pod, and we'll uh, make sure you get there. That's five. And the game is sold out. We're the last. So you want to get there? We got tickets. Yeah. So if you want to, which is probably the, the reason, the last resort is probably why most of the people are still listening to this show at this point. So, you know, might as well come on the bus too. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> now it's the Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones. Um, okay. Well, we'll go. We'll start with the Elks on their bye week. Zero and eight. Zero and eight. Right? Yeah. That's how long they, cause they haven't had a bye week yet. And 21 home losses, 21 straight home losses. They have their record. Uh, they can get it out of the way and they can start winning unless they're playing the riders, but just, they need, they need to win at home. They need to get fan base back into it. Cause it's not there. Anyway, All they need to do is change the name. All they need to do is change the name and then they'll be fine. Um, so big changes. Um, Jarius Jackson promoted to offensive. Yeah, Jarius Jackson gets promoted to offensive coordinator. Stephen McAdoo uh, stays on as a defensive advisor. Okay, um, it should have been offensive advisor because he anything he does is offensive. Does is that going to change? Side, he's made a career of making other teams' defenses look really good, so he does know what he's doing. No, he's made a career following Chris Jones around. Is that going to change anything in Edmonton? It, I, I, why, I, I, I get why they have to 
because Chris Jones takes care of the guys that are loyal to him. So he's got a he's got two year well a year and next year left on his contract. So firing him does nothing because you got to pay him out anyway. No one's going to hire him, and if they do hire him, Edmonton's off the hook. So who's going to hire him anyway? Like it just it just blows my mind. Like this is, and yes, like I said, yes, I enjoy the coaches cap hurting Edmonton, and right now we're suffering under it too. All because of Chris Jones. But, oh, like, I don't, I don't know what they do. I really don't know what they do. I don't know what the league does. Because I've seen a lot of people try to get creative. Like, give a one-time exception. Do, like, Gary Stern's out there. Farhan's out there. Everyone's out there, like, with these suggestions going, we can't lose Edmonton. We can't lose Edmonton. You lost. At this point, you lost them. And I don't know what you're going to do to fix it because Chris Jones is there for at least another two years, this year, next year, because you can't get rid of him. I'm really torn on the situation in Edmonton. And I know I've, I'm pretty sure I've said this before, but the, the Ryder fan in me who grew up in the 80s and 90s watching Edmonton roll through the league is really enjoying watching them lose and watching them suffer. But on the flip side, I love some of their fans. The folks over at the uh, turf district, you know, they've got some solid fans, and the, you know, some of the the best people in the CFL podcast network are on the Edmonton side of things. I feel for those guys. I feel for the fans. Man, but I, I, I can't. I, I'm really having trouble balancing the two, because you need a strong team in Edmonton, not necessarily, you know, constantly successful, but something this bad is bad for the league. On the flip side, you know, it, it might give the, the City of Champions a little humility between watching... Stop, it. stop calling them the City of Champions. Can we stop with that? <laughs> the last time they were any good in any sport <laughs> beside the odd year in football was the 80s, okay? Mm-hmm. And they pissed that away when they traded away Wayne, Wayne Gretzky. Actually, you know what? They still won without Gretzky, so it was Mark Messi. One year. Yeah, it was Mark oh, Messi. Uh, Vancouver's greatest captain. Yeah, exactly. Jamie Nye. Um <laughs> He but it was Mark Messier that ran that team. Um, anyway, they're not the city. Of Ch- Stop calling them that. Don't call them that. I think most people that say it now say it in in jest more than anything. Because you know we're sitting there in, a, in an era where their hockey team is supposed to be near the top of the league and constantly chokes in the playoffs. Now their football team has a professional record for home losses in North American sports. That's incredible to me for for a team of that much history to be the team that does this it's it's i love that part but the one thing i like with the change is i jackson immediately went in and said cornelius is done let's go let's see what uh, what daggy and uh and ford can do they're gonna battle it out for the number one spot that's something we've all been saying they should have been done since week one can, can i bring up an issue with that though Jackson was the passing game coordinator. He was the guy that all the passing game ran through. So if you knew corn pop was that bad, either Jones wasn't listening to you or McAdoo wasn't listening to you or your word means nothing to either of them because that should have been done a long time ago. Okay. So I mean, we things. all, we've all been saying it constantly. So yeah, you're right. Two things on this one. One, with the loss record, at least when the Pittsburgh Penguins lost, what was it, 
14 straight at 14. home in 0405. They got Sidney Crosby out of a deal. Okay. So they at least got something awesome out of it. They got three Stanley Cups out of it. Ed, Edmonton is not getting three great cups out of this. Um, but the change to Jarius Jackson isn't going to do anything. Anyone who says that, oh, he's going to have this great creativity now and the playbook's going to be different. Where is this magical playbook going to come in in a bye week that everybody's going to learn and forget everything that they've done so far this season? Literally nothing will change. Maybe when they run plays might change and what their decisions are, but the plays are going to stay the same. There might be some, some tweaks here and there, which you're probably going to have regardless of who your offensive coordinator is. That's just the growth of the playbook throughout the year. And as you get film on teams, as they get film on you, you're going to change it up a little bit. This isn't going to change anything. So hopefully for Edmonton's sake and their fans sake, one of these two quarterbacks, whichever one it is, it doesn't matter to me. Hopefully they get them a win or two, especially at home because it's just bad right now. Like it's, it's not funny anymore. It really isn't. It's sad. A I little think bit we, funny. Yeah, you're right. So no, it's it's funny. But I, I think we need to be honest that Chris Jones, the head coach, the defensive specialist. Great. Chris Jones, the GM sucks out loud. Like he is terrible. The fact that they thought they could put a bunch of really good receivers with a quarterback that couldn't hit a broadside of a barn, he was two feet away from it. Like, I don't know. Like, like putting receivers around a quarterback to make them make him better is not a good strategy. You need a quarterback to hit receivers. Kind of worked for the Riders in 2017. <sighs> in in yeah. fairness, that was exactly the plan that the plan that BC had going into last year before they knew what Nathan Rourke could do. They loaded up that offensive, the the receiving core, and said, "We'll give him all the weapons in the world. Maybe he'll." But do they could something. afford that. Turns out he was they, magical. They were, well, they were also paying him league minimum, but <laughs> they aren't paying Corn Pop league minimum, and they're suffering around. They all BC also built up their offensive line around Nathan Rourke. Right now, the Edmonton's offensive line is offensive. Like ours is not great, but theirs is bad. So Chris Jones, the GM sucks. And if G Roy Simon is just trucking along behind him, I worry about G Roy Simon's future as well. Best part about the Cornelius demotion though, is that part of his contract for next year is guaranteed. He's one of the few players that had that got in under that guaranteed contract loophole. So even if they cut him, he's still going to come back and bite him in the arse next year. And it's fantastic. And he can thank the riders for that, for, uh, his contract, the running game that he had uh, against the Riders last year. Um, elsewhere around the CFL, Darnell Sankey got released from the XFL. He was granted his relief release. Uh, plans to return to the CFL. Do the Riders need him? I like him, but no. Our our linebackers aren't our problem right now. Who And who do you sit? You're not, you're not moving Larry Dean down. You're not moving Tights down. It was one thing when Tights was injured. But with the ratio and everything and long creep, no, like, unfortunately we don't need him because I don't know where you'd put him. If, if I recall correctly, was there not some animosity between the riders and Sankey when he went out the door heading to uh, the XFL or the, 
to the XFL? Yeah. I I recall there there being some animosity his, regarding the his number. His contract offer was not what he thought it should be. Yeah. So I don't even if we were looking his way, I'm fairly certain he's uh he's probably ignoring those calls from the 306 unless they're coming with a much heftier price tag. My concern is he ends up going to somebody else that we end up having to play cuz that always seems to bite us in the backside too when you when you let a guy go and and watch him tear it up for the new team. I you, you almost can't. We we don't have the space for him, but you also can't really turn away a guy like that if he's willing to come up here. That's that's one of those too too good problem to have again. You know, you load up the receiving core, you load up the linebackers, injuries happen. And I'd rather have the depth there than than not. And he's too good of a player. So I say yes, you absolutely reach out to him. I say no. The team already made their choice with uh, Larry Dean. So Dean's I mean, having a good season. Like we, yeah. we don't need to get rid of Larry Dean. Like, like yeah, it'd be nice to have the shiny toy, but we don't need a linebacker. Yeah, they have the money to make the move if they wanted to, and and put in an offer. I think O'Day should at least make a phone call just to gauge interest. But I wouldn't be chasing them, not by any means. How how well would a three four defense work in the CFL? Yeah, can he rush the passer? Because if he can, uh, if he can play DE, then maybe let's sign him. But other than I that, don't hate that. <laughs> Robertson, Lanier, Micah, and then those four linebackers. I I don't hate that, but yeah, that'd be that'd be something the CFL hasn't seen in a very long time, if if ever. Uh, one more thing, going to go a little bit more local here. Um, the Regina Youth Flag Football League won the NFL Flag Football League of the Year award uh, just recently. It's the first That's time cool. a winner was outside of the U.S. So congrats should. to the Regina Youth League, uh, Youth Flag Football League. That's awesome. Um, does that kind of hurt the CFL in any way, knowing that it's the NFL flag football league it's branded as the nfl and you have kids wearing seahawks um bills giants you connor's name... been a cowboy a seahawk a patriot yay uh cowboy Great. chief um yeah the regina's has does have the best league they have the if i believe they have the most flag football players per capita in canada like the rugby fields and the U of R fields every year, every game day are packed of people. It's nuts. They run a good league and it's great. But yes, the CFL for years, and I've said this for years, has dropped the ball when it comes to supporting flag football because it's a grassroots program that helps put kids in the game. And when, yeah, my, my, my kid's wearing a Chiefs jersey not a rider's jersey and he, he says he's a chief he wants to play for the chiefs like that's fine I'll, I'll never forget when we were the patriots he was happy because i was wearing a patriots hat then when he was a when he was a cowboy he's like oh dad hates the cowboys you're right i do hate the cowboys i'm not going to wear a cowboy Don't hat we all <laughs> so it's yeah the the cfl has definitely lost i don't say i don't say a generation but it does hurt them I, I think they absolutely have lost a generation. 
I mean, I remember growing up, I wasn't athletically inclined, but I still dreamed of growing up being a rough rider. That's that was the thing that was cool back then. Now you got all these kids playing for the Packers, the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Cowboys, whoever else they're playing for. They're wearing that logo on their chest. They're going to look up that team. They want to know who those guys are. They're going to start following the NFL. They have messed up in, in my mind. To, to lose that, that program or to never put that program in place has been a mistake from the start. And to allow the NFL to come in and overtake them in that is is not great for the CFL. When when the CFL and the NFL had their deal when the NFL was funneling money to the CFL, it was NFL slash CFL flag football. Um, but yeah, since that working arrangement went out the window, uh, they yeah the CFL has just basically said they'd rather put their money elsewhere into grassroots. But I don't know what grassroots they're putting their money into because you don't see anything about it. I hope they can get back into a partnership of some sort. Obviously they're not going to overtake the NFL flag football league. Um, even just locally, they're not going to be able to do that. Um, but I hope they can do something anyway, because you got to have kids that want to grow up to be a rough rider, to be, you know, starting quarterback for the riders. You got to have kids like that. Unfortunately, I think that ship has sailed. Like, I don't see the NFL going, well, oh, you guys want to... No, that's what I mean. Like, I don't know how they're going to get back into it. I think what the CFL needs to do is find partnerships with the U Sports, with the CJFL, and underneath that, the PFC, the OFC, the BCFC. Like, they, they need to cultivate that next level of players that might be their next stars. Yes, like your Andrew freaking Harris is like you need you need to highlight those players so why isn't the CFL putting a spotlight on the U sports on the on the CJFL because I think unfortunately the flag football ship has sailed <coughs> wish I had an answer for that I really do because that's going to ultimately help the game so Hopefully they can figure something out anyway. They can put some money and resources into at least coming up with a plan. That's more important than CFL 2.0 anyway. That should really be 2.0. That's that's what it should, really should be, is focusing on the grassroots, but whatever. Um, all right. Well, let's look a little bit at this game against Ottawa uh, coming up on Sunday at 5 o'clock. I mentioned the growth of Mason Fine. Um, how long is the leash that he has? Because you said what last week, half a half, Greg, less than a half. I said less than a half. I said, if they got down by 10, pull them. And they didn't do that. So I was thinking that was, the, does not listen that to was me. the first quarter. Um, I think I said first quarter too. <laughs> yeah. So how long this week is that leash, guys. That leash is so short, it makes uh, fine look like Dalla Gala. It has to be. At some point, they got to try something. And if fine's not working, they got to do something. Like, Dalla Gala is made for this offense. We went through that in the first section. 
I don't know. Like, they can't lose to Ottawa. So help me God, they lose to Ottawa. I don't know what I'm going to do. I I think you give him the first half. No matter how well he's been looking, the yards he's been gaining, some of those passes he's been making, if he's not getting the ball in the end zone, he's not getting the job done. And he's progressed week by week. And I think now is that chance to either show it or shove it. If he doesn't, uh, if he doesn't perform, he doesn't get that uh, touchdown in the first half. You have to look at Doligala. Yeah, uh, half at the most. At the most, if he's not doing anything, I don't care if the game's a one-score game. It could be ten-three uh, at the half for Ottawa. He needs to score points and not field goals. They need touchdowns. If Fine is not doing that, you have to replace him at the half, at the latest. So I wouldn't be opposed to it happening earlier. I don't want it to turn into a Durant Giles rotation where you bring in a guy for a series and then replace him right away. But if fine, the first two, three series, Oh God, it's not more than a field goal. Then yeah, it, it's time. That leash has got to be, even though he had his best game, he lost more room on that leash. Not all, all because of him. Like it, it's, Touchdown Atlantic was not his fault by any means. But you can't just bring in five new offensive linemen, although the team probably should. Um, but you can't just replace everybody else. This is the immediate thing you do to create a spark is change the quarterback. That's the first thing you do. It's hockey. You change the goalie. It may, all five goals may not be against or be on the goalie because if they leave him hanging out to dry and defense isn't helping them, you can't play with no defense, right? So you switch the goalie. Same thing with football here. You switch the quarterback. So I don't know. No more than a half for sure. No more. I just realized something. We keep on going back to the Giles Durant uh, comparison. Uh, and who Michael Bishop is. Corn pop. Yep. Good arm, but not accurate by any means. Yep. That said, I'd still rather have Bishop than Court, Court Pop at the Banjo Bowl this year. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you guys think that Fine will be able to keep it going? I like what he does. I'm a little skeptical. And that might be like I said, that might be a size thing and the way this offense is built because this built this, this offense is built for a guy like Dalagala, a dropback passer because it's built for Trevor Harris. I like what he does, but it's not built for him. Like, like His best passes are made when he's, when he's moving around, but those are broken plays usually, which is not a way to sustain an offense. You can't have every play, play be a broken play. Yeah, tell that to our offensive line. That's Evan Johnson. Is the right <laughs> Husky great Evan Johnson. Here's the thing. He He's looked good. He looked okay against BC. He looked good against Toronto. And those, to me, are the two top defenses in the league right now. No question in my mind. He's now going up against Ottawa. I don't think anybody this season has looked at Ottawa as a defensive threat. If he can't move the ball early against this defense, that's going to tell us all we need to know. But I think given what he's done against the top-tier defenses in the league, 
I have a lot of faith that he's going to get the job done in, in against uh, against Ottawa on Sunday. All right, we'll flip over to the other side, to the other quarterback with Dustin Crum. Kind of got knocked back down to earth uh, against Hamilton, although that was an absolute mess of a game delayed from weather and and it was just a downpour um but you saw in the calgary game cam judge spy dustin dustin crumb and he wasn't able to run now the guy made some good throws but he needs to be able to run to be completely effective i think calgary laid the blueprint on how to stop dustin crumb Winnipeg had no idea. I mean, they did until the final, what, two minutes of their game, and they just let him run twice, and that was the difference in the game. The Stamps kind of held him in check for running the ball, but then they just totally forgot how to play the rest of defense. But Cam Judge kind of set that blueprint. Hamilton stuffed him completely. He didn't get anything against Hamilton. Do the riders kind of follow that blueprint? Is he figured out? Do you have a Micah Tights or a Larry Dean spy on him all game? He's 2004 Michael Vick cover Madden. Like you need to have a linebacker on him at all times. Yes, you spy him the entire game. You dedicate a man to him because if a play breaks, breaks down, he's probably going to put the ball down and run. Like you cannot give him open space. Do not and do not add him big hill. Do do not just go. Oh, what what is this guy doing? Oh, he's buying me now. Do not do that. But yes, you put a Larry Dean on him. You put a tights on him, and you spy him the entire game. I, I can't believe I'm going to make this reference. You guys can enjoy saving this for later. Somebody in another group I'm in uh, talking football said that he is like Chris Strebler with more accuracy and less trucking ability. And I agree with that. He's a better quarterback and a slightly less talented runner. There, there's one key to beating him. It's very simple. Don't let him run. Make him throw the ball. Yes, he'll get. He'll make some throws, but he is not going to beat you with his arm. You stop his legs, you win. Period. You do that however you can do it. You know you know, it would look really good? Sign Darnell Sankey and have uh, four linebackers, one of them spying them all day. You know, the three, that 3-4 three, defense again. Do it up. That would work perfectly against him. You know what actually might be in the Riders' uh, benefit for this game is their lack of pass rush because the pocket won't collapse, forcing Crumb out. Um, they'll be able to just rush their four, not get any pressure on them like they have pretty much all season long and make them a pocket passer. So maybe, maybe a big rider's fault here could be their biggest win in terms of game planning. I don't know. Um, we're, we're failing up. <laughs> yeah, pretty much dig up. That's, stupid. The, best, that's the best way. Um, oh, there, there we go. There's our Simpsons reference of the uh, pod. <laughs> <laughs> you knew it was coming. I'm watching season three of the Simpsons right now. Just a fantastic season. Oh, oh my we, goodness. We, we talked about this on Twitter. Already. It's the, like I said, that's yeah. where they found their the flaming Mo. I think it was the flaming Mo episode that also had the, uh, the 
Saskatchewan Rough Riders only scored four rouges, where it was the CFL draft. I'm pretty sure that was the episode two. It had Is everything. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I or else it was the soapbox racer one. Either way, that's uh, the season oh, three references oh. or the oh, CFL references season in season three. Great. And it's got the softball episode, which is just uh, a top tier. Uh, why am I singing twice? I'm singing twice in an episode. Ozzy and the Straw. Um, why do you sing once? <laughs> People enjoy my voice, Steve. I don't know. Like I, I get the fan mail. You don't, I guess. Show me one letter. Go ahead. This is a Y, and then M, and a C, <laughs> and an A. Um, is this a must-win game God, for the Riders? <laughs> yes, it is a must-win. To bring really? it back, Steve can Steve cannot keep his on track. Uh, yes, no, it is. Uh, it has to be. Like you cannot lose to Ottawa. You cannot drop te- teams these. And right now, I see people talking about an East crossover, and my brain might explode. There's no way. In, there's no way the CFL can allow an e- uh, allow a team from the East to cross over. So yeah, this happen. is a must win because you can't lose to the East. You know, we've we've had our tough schedule of six Western games. This is our first. Well, I guess our second battle against the East now. You can't, you can't drop a game to Ottawa. We only get one. We don't get to go into Toronto. We don't get to go into Ottawa. Montreal's not coming here. I hate the new schedule and they don't play teams twice. Pisses me off to no end. But I have to say you cannot lose a game to Ottawa at home. Period. It's a must win. They, they don't win this game. You... You can almost write the season off because it's not going to get any easier. I'm torn on this because on one hand, no, it's not a must win game. Um, it To me, it's a season defining game. If they win this, they show me that, okay, they're a nine and nine average team that they can get to that nine and nine mark. But at the same time, there's so many parallels that I see with this team this season to last year. Start out with a good record, and then all of a sudden, off the cliff you go, and just the season goes off the rails. So they've lost their three straight games here. They got the short trip after this going to Montreal on Thursday. So they have one day of practice. They have Monday off. They'll practice Tuesday, and they fly out Wednesday. They'll have a walkthrough and then fly out Wednesday and then game on Thursday. That is short, and especially going out to the East again. If they were just going to Calgary or Winnipeg, it wouldn't be that big of a deal to me. But you're going a couple time zones here. Like, it's... The, yeah, it, 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 is, it is. It's a season-defining game. They need they, to win it. They need like, to. It, it's, must win. is It's a need win because... You're right. It's not going to get any easier. We got the Alouettes in a short, a short uh, schedule. Then the Lions, Bombers back to back, and then, then then we get a bye week because we play the Elks, and then it's Red Blacks again. Like the next four games are not fun, so they need to at least beat the Red Blacks. The amount of pressure that'll be on this team if they lose this game. This if they lose this game. I listened to a couple of post game callers uh, from a post game show this, this past week. And one guy, it was a great call. Um, just brought it, but 
and he brought this up. And I'm starting to see it more throughout Rider fans right now. I haven't seen Rider Nation this upset about their team since 2015 when they lost to Ottawa to go to 0-9 and, and demanded change. And we finally got some with uh, Brendan Tamman and Corey Chamberlain getting fired. But they cannot afford to get the fans that angry again because it did take a while for them to come back. They did. And obviously winning cures everything. So once they made their run in 2017, fans started coming back Back in 18 and 19 were good years. Uh, I just, I don't want to say it's a must win, but they need to just to not have that parallel continue with last year where fans really just stopped caring. So yeah. I guess it's a must-win game. Um, what we've been doing lately, pick an impact player on both sides of the ball. Is there going to be one? Because there wasn't one last week. Um, do you guys have one for this game? Jake Dolgala. Going right out there. I'm, I'm going with it. <laughs> I knew. I knew what he was sitting on, so I get it early. Jake Dolgala on offense. I think fine gets yanked early, and knowing Dickey probably too early. Uh, but I think Dolgo's going to have a good game against Ottawa if he gets in. I'm going to go Jamal Morrow. At this point, the running game has to get going. And it hasn't been there for weeks. The easiest way to cure a, an issue at quarterback is get that running game going, get that play, play action going. There's no fear from the D-line right now. It's, it's Morrow, no question. Um, I'm going to cop out and say it's one of two guys. Um, I don't care which one it is, but it has to be another receiver. It has to be Braden Linius or Jake Winicky. Bain and Tevin Jones and MLS are the top three receivers on this team. They need somebody else to step up so that if one of those guys is getting double teamed, somebody else can sneak out and have a, have a sneaky good game. So one of those guys uh, for offense and on defense. I want to see it be Micah tights again. Uh, I hope I think he's been playing Damn pretty it. well this season. Yes. Yes. I got there early. Ha host duties. Um, yeah. Uh, Micah tights. I'm going to Truman. Like aren't you? I, no, I'm not. He, I think Steve is. Cause he's, he looks like he's scrolling. He, he's doing the scrolling phase. Uh, no, I think Tremaine Washington is going to get his first game in probably in that spot that Roland Milligan is after his apparently surgery. So I think as the former leader of the uh, of interceptions in the CFL, I think it's going to be good having another ball, ho ball hawk out there. And if they can keep Crum uh, in the pocket, him or Marshall is going to have a really good game. I'm, I'm going to go with Pete Robertson. I think we need to see something from the D-line, and I think he's the guy to, to make it happen this week. All right, well, let's take a look at the spreads for this week's games. Um, I already know that... Uh, I know what the Toronto-Calgary one started at. Um, yeah, but the first game of the week, BC at Winnipeg. I think this one's going to be a hell of a lot closer than that 30-6 to game that we saw between them earlier this year. I'm going to assume that 
It's still going to be Dane Evans starting, so I'm going to say Winnipeg's probably a minus one and a half. Steve? I'm going BC four and a half. BC favored four and a half. Uh, you're both wrong, and Steve is the most wrongest. Uh, Winnipeg currently is sitting at minus five and a half. It started at wow. three and a half and has increased. Ton of money coming in on Winnipeg no. this week. No. Wow. What from the last six weeks has made people think that Winnipeg is a better team than BC? Good question, I, but I don't it, see it. I don't either. Um, I'm going to put some money uh, down on that one. BC on the money line is plus 200. Winnipeg is minus 240. I think I think Winnipeg wins this one. I think they cover. The five and a half? I think, really? Yeah. Yeah. I think BC wins and outright. I'm I think BC covers the points, but I think Winnipeg wins. Uh, second game, Toronto at Calgary on Friday night. Uh, I think this one opened at, I think it was eight and a half for Toronto. Steve? I mean, I have no idea. I'd go, let's go eight and a half. That sounds like a great number. Uh, open at eight is now sitting at nine for Toronto <laughs> in Calgary. I think Calgary keeps it close. I think Calgary covers a spread. Toronto wins though. I think Toronto covers. I a, a bet a of my uh, four hundred twenty five dollars will win you a hundred on uh, Toronto. A bet of uh, one hundred will get you three forty five uh, on the money line. I like Calgary with the spread. Actually, uh, old uh, Chad Kelly no longer swag did not show much this weekend, and I don't hate Calgary's defense. So, I think Calgary covers. That's I hate pretty much number. about Calgary. So yeah, that includes their defense. Um, Jake Mayer sucks, man. He sucks. He's, he's, he's terrible. Awful. He's terrible. He's awful. But I, I they've, think they've done Calgary a really good job. Them. They've done a good job in their offense. Calgary has of getting the receivers open. I can't tell you how many times over the last three weeks that Reggie Bagleton has been ten yards open. Mm-hmm. Outside of those easy throws, and those are very easy throws for any <laughs> pro quarterback, Jake Mayer has been brutal. Like mm-hmm. Taylor Cornelius, bad. Maybe not that bad, Cal- but he's been bad. If Calgary had a better quarterback, Whoa. they they would be they'd be a lot better than they are. Jake Mayer holds. Let's not back. say things we can't take back, Alex. That was a little harsh. I should tweet that out there. Or exit out there. I don't know. Throw it um, in the ether. Throw it out there. A very important game, actually. Um, Montreal at Hamilton. With playoff implications everywhere. This, 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 okay, before the show, I was like, whoa, this one's interesting. It I actually be- want a, I want to start and finish on this one. Okay. Um, I want to say it started at. Since you're surprised, Montreal should be favored in this. I'm going to say it started at uh, Montreal minus one, and now it's at Hamilton plus three. Steve? I feel very similar. I think Montreal minus 
four and a half. And down to to one and a half. No, it flipped. It started off as Hamilton minus one and a half. It's now Montreal minus three. It's where it should be, but I can't believe it started out with Hamilton wow. as the favorites. Huh. Yeah, well, uh, I can't see Hamilton doing much without uh, Bo playing. Even when he was awful, he still gives them their best chance of winning. And I Can mean, we Cody see how Fajardo... dumb that was? <laughs> um, Fajardo actually looked okay against the Stampeders last week. Um, yeah, Montreal covers for sure. Oh, yeah. The three? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, BD's, yeah, it's an easy cover. Um, and finally, Ottawa and Saskatchewan. Um, I'm going to guess that Ottawa's favored by two points. I think Saskatchewan by one and a half. Uh, Ottawa minus one and a half. They are favored coming into Mosaic, which is why I gave my uh, very explicit rant, uh, re- reaction when I opened these up before the show started. I don't know how Ottawa's a favorite. I, I don't get it. Everybody fell in love with Crum for two games. That's what it was. And I mean, that's good for the league if they can find this brand new budding star at quarterback. It's awesome. Every, I think every CFL fan would love to see that, especially in a market like Ottawa, who's outside of their one great cup year, which they were still what eight and 10 that year um, has been awful since they've returned. They had one good year um, when they lost the great cup and then every, and then they got lucky in the playoffs with Henry Burris playing out of his mind for three games. Um, yeah. Oh, geez. Sask- yeah. Saskatchewan. It's way more of a, a need win. It's a need win. It's not it's a, a much more important game to Saskatchewan than it is Ottawa. So they have to come out and play like it. If they don't, then yeah. I'm all on board with fire everybody. And who cares who you replace them with? Don't, don't get me wrong. It's a Bobby Dice revenge tour, hundred percent. But I really think that the riders need to come out like throw literally throwing haymakers. I would hell throw a helmet at a guy. I don't care at this point. Like the riders need to win this. Yeah, I take, I'm going to take the riders in this and they have to win. This is a must win way too early in the season. Well, if they don't next week's show is going to be quite fun. Um, oh, yeah. it's going to be amazing. They'll be, sensors up in front of our mouths and everything blurs and whatnot like it'll be it oh <laughs> don't even, oh that's so much gonna be so much editing for me oh especially considering what's coming oh no given what you put us through all through the season on your end with the buttons you get to press good suffer right now just for fun just to make you have to censor it Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Time All right. Well, that's gonna do it this week here. What? So it's time to get out of here. Obviously. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, we'll be back next week with a big announcement as well. To we're gonna keep that countdown going. I'm really curious who you're gonna have for number three. I don't know why I picked number three, but Omar uh, Morgan. So gold, so gold, Macho Harris, obviously. Oh, yeah. 
I see him all the time at work, actually. Um, <laughs> really nice guy. Um, anyway, that's going to do it. Piffles Podcast, of course, brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. And of course, special thanks always go out to Kathy Festion of Royal Page Regina Realty and Churchill Brewing Company for their support making this show possible. This is Ghost Behind Your Mind by Tyler Gilbert. <laughs>